trials and tribulations and challenges, it comes with the human experience. Grief is a receipt that you did love somebody. Grief is this emotion of, it's proof. It's proof that you loved someone. You're listening to Skip Intro with me, Krista Smith. I have a special guest back in the studio today, Nicole Avant. Any longtime listeners will remember that Nicole joined me back in 2019 to discuss The Black Godfather, the documentary she produced about her father, Clarence Avant. Clarence was a legendary music mogul and a celebrity's celebrity, as my favorite quote from the doc describes him. Clarence passed away peacefully at the age of 92. Nicole herself is an entrepreneur, producer, philanthropist, and a former diplomat. From 2009 to 2011, she served as the U.S. ambassador to the Bahamas, becoming the youngest, as well as the first African-American woman to hold the position. Among her many accomplishments and titles, she has now added author into the mix. Her first book, Think You'll Be Happy, Moving Through Grief with Grit, Grace, and Gratitude, is out now. The book grapples with the tragic murder of her mother, the civil activist and philanthropist Jacqueline Avant, who was fatally shot by an intruder during a robbery in 2021 while she was at home with Clarence, her husband of 54 years. Jacqueline known as Jackie, was a beloved member of the Los Angeles Society, and the tragedy made front-page news globally. While paying tribute to her, former President Obama said she was, quote, one of his favorite people. Rather than becoming lost in the darkness, Nicole writes candidly about how she turned her pain into purpose and moved forward through love and incredible grit. In this interview, We'll talk about her experience writing this very personal memoir, reflect on love, loss, and family, and ruminate on the legacy of her father. Nicole Avant, it is so awesome to see you here. I think about the first time we met in the podcast studio, it was for your film, Black Godfather. 2019. 2019. Seems like ages ago. Seems like, well, it is. And, and, And as much as... We as as humanity has experienced, and you personally have experienced it, it has been ages. It feels like mm-hmm. it, how could it only have been four years ago? It feels like four hundred years ago. And I will say this to my listeners: if you have not seen The Black Godfather, you really have to watch it. It's on Netflix. It's this brilliant documentary about your dad, who was the celebrity celebrity. Mm-hmm. The man literally behind every scene. Like, yes, it's yeah. just incredible. And it was really, really well done. Thank you. Um, and I enjoyed it and I rewatched it. And, and the Clarence isms are just <laughs> the incredible. <best. laughs> they are the best. He just, he just has a way of just distilling it into exactly yes. it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of his things. It's about uh, all of it. Anyway, but we're here today to talk about your book, which I have right in front of me here, whereas my producer said it looked very well worn and it is a uh, a proof copy and I have dog-eared it and highlighted some passages and that were very moving to me, but this is a beautiful book. Thank you. It's such an easy book to read. Thank you. I immediately got in and was just, I was with you every step of the way and I'm really excited to talk to you about it. It's called Think You'll Be Happy, Moving Through Grief with Grit grace and gratitude and it just came out yesterday october 17th now 
back in 2019 when we talked, you did mention that you were writing a book. Yeah. But I have a feeling this is not the no. book that you intended no, to write. No, it was not the book I intended to write. I actually, the themes of grit, grace, and gratitude came from The Black Godfather. I wanted to do a follow-up of that film, but in a book form. And I thought, you know what, let me pick up the main themes that I see over and over again with everyone in The Black Godfather. So every single person that was interviewed and they have had accomplished so much, but it wasn't just about their accomplishments. I'm like, wait, what made them what made them really move through life the way they did? What was it that they decided we're not gonna quit? We don't care how hard it is, we don't care how unfair this is, we're we're not gonna quit. We're gonna survive. And it was grit. They all had grit, they all had gratitude, and they all had grace. And so that's what I was working on, and I was excited to put this book out, and I was figuring out the rhythm of the book or what have you, and then the unthinkable happens. My mom is killed, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to put out a book on grit, grace, and gratitude, how to live with grit, grace, and gratitude. That's, no, I'm not, I can't do this. I have to figure something else out. And But I still want to talk about the grit, grace, and gratitude because my mom embodied all of that as well. It wasn't just my father and his friends. It was my mom mm-hmm. who was about grit mm-hmm. and grace and gratitude. And that's how it kind of then all came together and took that book, started writing a new book. And, you know, uh, as it says, you know, think you'll be happy. Those were the last words my mom said to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And here we are. And here we are. Everyone grieves in their own way. Everyone deals with shock and trauma in their own way. And we all internalize it. So there was a couple of things that really spoke to me in, in this book. And I'm at that age now, as I think you are too, where some friends are getting sick, parents yes. are dying, yeah. you know, obviously not murdered in their own homes. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, it's a natural cause, tripwires, things start happening. You never know, what do you want to say to anybody? What, what should I say? Oh my God, I can't believe this just happened. How do you communicate? And I just, to me, it was so clear when you're like, all you want to hear is I love you. You don't want to be asked a question. Is there anything I can do for you? You can't even think. You're just trying to get to the next minute of the day. And that really resonated. Like, all you want to hear is like, I love you. I love you. you. It was a healing balm for me. Every text that I received that said, I love you. Every email, text, anytime somebody would come up to me. And it taught me, because to your point, I've been on the other side of that too, where I say the wrong things or what can I do? How can I help you? I've said that for years to people. And then when you're in the situation and you're in grief and you're in, I was in so much chaos at this moment, my world was spinning. And I noticed that I would check my phone sometimes during the day and the notes that just said, I love you. It taught me in that moment, oh, okay, the greater, what I've learned is it's right all the time, but also especially the greater the tragedy, the less kind of you have to say because there's just too much going on. There's so much shock you can't even take in what someone's trying to say or they want to help. And I loved that so many of my friends showed up and they just swam. They were all, we were all dumped into this new ocean Mm -hmm. and we're swimming through grief. We're swimming through the shock. We're swimming through the trauma. We're all stressed. We don't know. We don't have a manual. We don't know what's going on. And everyone just delegated. Candace is going to do this. Gwyneth's going to do this. Danielle's going to do this. Amy's going to do this. Amy goes to the house with Danielle. So and so. Laura's going to go look for a funeral. I mean, it was, they just decided. They didn't ask me. 
mm-hmm. which was incredible. They just sat with each other. Mm-hmm. And I love that they each started to get to know each other better if they didn't know each other and said, what are you good at? I'm good at this. Amy was like, I'm not afraid of anything. I'm going to the house. <laughs> right? And so, Amy, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to the house and get Mr. Avon's clothes, and I'm going to get the things that Nicole wants. I'm not afraid. And Danielle was like, girl, I'm not afraid either. I'm mm-hmm. going with you. And they had never met before. So there is a new friendship and bond with them in that moment. But for me to have that love in action show up for me where it really wasn't about what people were saying. It was about how they were showing up and giving me love through their actions, Mm -hmm. you know, and their service to me and to my soul that was Mm -hmm. completely shattered. Mm -hmm. Just as a daughter... I mean, to lose your mom in this violent way wasn't your own personal story because you had to share your parents with the world. With the world. And you have always been doing that since you were born, right? Their mm-hmm. world is huge. Mm-hmm. Your dad, although maybe not famous, let's say, you know, in the same way we think about it, but your house was filled with people that were, uh, you know, ginormously famous and successful. Your mother, that was her world. So this was this was a death that affected everybody. I mean, it was front page news. It was a headline story on every single uh, news station, let alone in America, but globally it traveled. it traveled. I mean, this was a giant story yeah. and it's still real. And that was the other thing in, this, in the book when you kept, there's just such honesty. And I want to thank you so much for talking about like you, there were times you couldn't get off the floor when you're just sobbing and and talking to yourself in the bathtub. And there's other times when you're like, yep, yep, yep. Got to do this. Got to do this. Keep moving forward. Like it's not all one thing. We're not all one emotion at one time. And none of it, none of it is, we don't know when it's going to hit us. No, it's a roller coaster. That you just completely surrender to it. And I love the way you you share that in this book, which is so great because anybody that's been through grief and basically no one in this life gets gets away with not having experienced this. Some other, you know, some get clubbed to death with it. Other Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. can escape until, you know, maybe the end of their life. But most of us, most human beings experience grief very significantly at various stages throughout their life. None of us are exempt. Mm -hmm. None of us. Trials and tribulations and challenges, it comes with the human experience. Mm. You know, life is great. And yes, life is beautiful. And yes, life is a gift for sure. And, you know, and I'm big on the ands versus the buts. And life is challenging. And very different challenges show up, to your point, to various different people. Sometimes it's a health challenge. Sometimes, you know, whatever passes away. Because grief is a receipt that you did love somebody. And, you know, that's why you have grief. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you don't have it. Grief is this emotion of, it's proof. It's proof that you loved someone. Or you love something. It could be, you know, we all have had it where, you know, our dog dies. You're in, Ted, our dog Casey died a couple years ago. Ted was inconsolable. I mean, he couldn't even get up in the morning. You know, he's carrying the dog out. You know, we're waiting for the dog. I mean, it's it's anything. It's a child. It's a, a parent, a sister, brother, anything. It's It's hard when you lose somebody that you love. And for me in that moment, to your point, it was even harder because the world was now in shock and trauma and grief and stress with me. It felt as if a house had fallen on me. And I was pushing it off because if I didn't do this, if I didn't push it off of me, I was just going to die. And I noticed myself managing 
managing the stress. So when people would call and I knew they were so shocked and traumatized and they wanted answers. And I'd say, I'm standing in my faith. I'm standing in my faith. I, I was the first thing that came to me, just not not because I wasn't, I was, but to your point, I was feeling all of it at the same time. And But things had to be done. I had a 91-year-old father who we left the hospital. You know, we all got to the hospital. At that point, I she was in surgery, so I had this hope of, oh, well, okay. Well, she didn't die in the house. That, okay. I, remember, I, by the time I got to the hospital, I still didn't know what mm-hmm. happened. No one had told me what happened. I just got a call, Nicole, get up and get to Cedars. Uh, your mom's been shot. Mm. I mean, it, and... When I got there, I started getting a few answers, and there was a, you know, there was an attempted robbery. Your mother happened to be up, and she encountered this person, and she scared him, and he didn't, you know, he left immediately. It was a but he shot rounds, unfortunately, before he left, and a bullet, you know, nailed her in the back, and she, I mean, she was eighty-one years old. She lost so much blood. And by the time she, you know, but of course my mother, of course she made it to the hospital. That's what I love about my mom. My, my mom was like, I'm not dying in my mm-hmm. house. You're not getting me. No, I'm going to get to the hospital. And, you know, they did as much as they could. But there was, and it would have been beyond tragic for her because she would have never been functioning again. And I think she would have had a nervous breakdown, actually, you know, at that point. Mm-hmm. So it was just a lot, though. And I felt the weight of trying to manage people's emotions strangers friends family friends I felt I was managing everybody else's emotions and making sure that everyone didn't fall through the quicksand and fall through the earth and then there were some days finally I just snapped and I said okay let me focus on my dad let me focus on my family I looked at my father I said listen I don't know what's next I don't know anything. I don't understand any of this. But I do know this. You're going to come live with me. You are loved. You are safe. I'm going to take care of you. And you're never going to be alone. And we're going to walk this path together. Like lockstep. And I'm going to be here for you. And I'm never leaving your side. And I didn't. And every day I woke up with him. Every night I was always checking on him. I mean, it was... And it was great because any anything I was doing, I'm like, Look, get in the car, come with me, let's go run this errand, let's go here. Tell me what you like to do, Dad. Where did you go with Mom? What did you like to do? Oh, we like to go to the store and get baked beans. I'm like, okay, we're gonna go to that store and get your mm-hmm. baked beans. And and I said, we're gonna have to start anew. That's that's what we're gonna do. And it it's interesting because it's it wasn't one day at a time for me. It was so tragic, Krista. It was like one minute at a time. I don't even know if I can do one day at a time. Mm-hmm. It's too much. One minute at a time. And that actually helped me a lot, mm-hmm. you know, and creating new rituals for myself. But I'd have to say, like, one minute at a time. And then it got to, okay, let's do it five minutes at a time. Let's do an hour at a time. And then in about, you know, a month and a half, there was a different rhythm. But I had to change. I, I had to change my pace. I had to change my thinking. I had to change my my will, so to speak, of just the whole, my whole world just turned around and I thought, this is not going to consume me. That that I know. So I said to my dad, okay, listen, this horrific thing happened. We're not letting this person destroy our family. 
we're going to have to make a decision right now. We're not giving him that. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get our family. He doesn't mm-hmm. get my marriage. He doesn't get my energy. He's not getting it. I go, but that's a decision every day. And my dad looked at me and said, okay, I'm going to follow you. Okay, if you say so. <laughs> like, Daddy, that's the only thing I know how to do right now. I go, but we have to make sure we're not talking about him. We don't care about his name. I don't care. We're going to push him over here because it doesn't bring mom back. No. And every day my dad would say, you know, okay, I guess we should we talk about Jackie? I said, let's talk about everything we loved about Jackie. Let's talk about all the lessons that she taught us. And we would, you know, mimic her and this and that. I'd make my dad laugh, you know, because my mom was so, you know, educated and loved history and the arts and everything. And my father would write letters and she'd say, oh, my goodness, get the dictionary, get the dictionary. And so my dad would walk around the house saying, get the dictionary. And it was great because we had these Jackieisms, you know, and all the time. Anyway, is there anything else? Anyway, like very short, very to the point. And those kind of little moments with grief, you just have to face it. I mean, you have to really look at it and it's there mm-hmm. and it's not going away. Mm-hmm. And as you said earlier, it comes in waves. Yeah, It comes in different stages and you don't know when it's going to hit you and how it's going to hit you. And some days are worse than others. Let's talk about Jackie, because when yes. you and I first talked about this book and obviously Black Godfather, we talked about it earlier in this conversation, was about mostly about your dad. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, the giant life that he lived, obviously, with your mother right alongside. Mm-hmm. But uh, and the giant people from Quincy Jones to Hank Aaron to Bill Withers. I mean, it goes Whitney Houston. I mean, everybody, basically, I think, yes. in the 20th century, yeah. <laughs> I think we can safely say uh, Clarence uh, dealt with. But this is really about your mom and your ancestors and your grandmother and to see the influence that your mother had on you and all of those she touched. So I'd love to get into that a little bit because moms are a tricky thing sometimes with daughters. Sometimes can be a relationship I know. I was always envious of my friends that had this like, my mom's my best friend. I totally talk 15 (laughs) times a day. I was like, really? Like, and I never really had that. And one of the things that I was so touched by in this in the book is when you you got to kind of reconcile some legacy of trauma there as uh, being a daughter, Mm -hmm. growing up, pushing the boundaries like any teenager would want to. But you also lived in such a unique situation, right? You're surrounded by all these enormously successful people. They're famous. And you're just trying to be Nicole, you know, a teenager. And you have a certain expectation of what you need to present as, certainly with your parents. Mm -hmm. And so you know, your mom and you butted some heads. Yes. And I would love for you to talk about, you know, it wasn't always easy because I don't want any of my listeners to think that like, you know, yes, she's a princess and a queen and amazing Nicole Vaughn, but your life was not always easy. You had a lot of struggles yourself and your relationship with your mother wasn't perfect. There's no glossing over anything. No. And I wanted to write about it because it also was very healing for me to get in on the page and you know I when I would speak to my mother after she died in the bathtub I was just like okay I'm just gonna talk to you people might think I'm nuts I don't care it makes me feel great and I started going back to all my journals and I found and then inside the journals I found cards where my mom they were apology notes and throughout the years not many but you know I found three that were great and I went you know what I'm gonna put this in the book I think that everyone 
to your point, everyone thinks that all motherhood is the same and all relationships are the same. And some mothers are like that with their daughters and they talk 20 times a day and they can't live without each other. And my mom's like, okay, excuse me. <laughs> I, um, I, I love you. I do love you. I'm going to take care of you. I don't want to talk to you. I mean, I would call her sometimes and I would just talk and she'd say, is there anything else? Like she could really was like, what, what are you? Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> and when I said to her one time in my twenties, I, she asked, you know, she was reading that Louise Hay book that many of us have, you can heal your life. And she said, you know, I really like the way she's laying things out and talking about forgiveness. Is there anything that you'd like to bring up to me? And when I did, I said, no, I knew you loved me, but I just felt I had to share you with all these people. And then, of course, she took that and went, mm, mm-hmm. And then she barrels into, well, I did this, I did this, I took you to school every day, I did this, and this, and this. I go, okay, never mind. Mm-hmm. Forget it. Forget it. You're not understanding it. And the beauty of our last shared lunch, it was 2021, and, you know, she had a year to really just sit in her house during COVID, like we all did, and really reassess everything. And it was so perfect at this lunch. She said, you know, I want to go back to that conversation. And what I loved is that she was taking accountability. And she said, Nicole, I pinched your heart. That was not my intention. And I understand now why a six-year-old or an eight-year-old or 12-year-old would not understand that while I was correcting your behavior, I should have been more clear and said I was correcting your behavior so that you, in turn, would not think I was berating your soul. Mm-hmm. There's a difference. Your soul is great. Mm-hmm. And you're a really good kid. And you're a great person. And I love you. And I'm proud of you. But of course, if I was constantly trying to make sure that you were showing up right and, you know, just correcting me as she should have. You know, that's what parents are supposed to do. She said, look, it was my job to make sure that you would go out into society and know how to function and be your best. But the only way you could be your best is if I put you in situations that weren't comfortable, that I made you finish things that you didn't want to finish, which I am so grateful to her because naturally I would get easily discouraged and say, oh, forget this. And she said, no, I'm terrible at this. That's okay. You have six more weeks. I couldn't quit anything. (laughs) She's Mm -hmm. like, I paid for six weeks and then you don't have to do it again. But you do have to show up and you have to finish. And her point was, Without discipline and without this muscle of discipline and showing up in the world and being uncomfortable, you'll never really be able to be the best version of yourself if you do not know how to thrive and be uncomfortable at the same time. You will not. I mean, she had me serve all the time. Go be a waitress. I sold shoes. I worked at a dry cleaner. I was a waitress. And they were great jobs because she said, you're going to understand people better than anything else, better than any other job. You're going to understand people. You're going to see the best of people and you're going to see the worst of people in service. Mm-hmm. And what I love so much about her is that, A, she loved being alive. She really loved living. She understood the principle of sharing your blessings. She wasn't ashamed of being super blessed or anything, but she said, Yes, I can enjoy my blessings, sure, but I cannot hoard them. We need to go out and share. You don't have to feel guilty about having things that other people might not have, but you do need to go out and serve and share. And that was her greatest gift to me was she really lived it. I mean, I was in the back of her car every day after school going somewhere to learn about 
other people deliver things that, to them, whether it was books or toiletries or just she was a tutor all the time. She'd sit and just tutor kids all over South Central L.A. And I'd sit there going, what are we doing? And she said, mm-hmm. serving. You know, I'd always say, oh, I don't know what my purpose is in life. I don't know what my purpose is. She said, everyone's purpose is to serve. And if you just get that, then you could still do whatever you want. If you want to be a newscaster, go be a newscaster. Figure out some way to serve. If you want to go be an athlete, you figure out a way to serve. Because service always brings it back to a significant life. Mm-hmm. And she was very focused on you need to have a significant life. You don't want to get to the end of your life and think, oh, I really wasted my time. I really wasted my time here. She was very afraid of that. And for her, I think as a... as you know, she's a black woman. She's mixed race. She passes for white everywhere she goes. She's proud of all of her heritage, you know. It's, but she loved African-American history. She wanted me to know it. She wanted me to understand what stock I was coming from. I mean, we had this great wall in the house, and it's Frederick Douglass and George Washington Carver and, you know, Booker T. Washington. It's 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 Alex Haley. It's Harriet Tubman. They were letters, photographs, Josephine Baker, all against this wall so that every time I walked by it, she said, now, these are real trials and tribulations. They really, really, really had a very difficult, unfair, unjust life. But they didn't quit because you're the promise. Mm. So you owe them. You owe them. You don't have to go out and be famous or super rich or anything, but create a significant life and and make sure that you take this baton that has been given to you. And now you go do something with your baton. Make some, you know, my dad's big thing is, you know, you come with a number and you end with a number. (laughs) And his point was like, well, what are you going to do in the dash? That's all that matters. You don't know when you're going to be gone. I mean, you and I know this. We know people who they may die at 50 and everyone says, oh, my God, they were so young. This is so tragic or a 10 year old or a 20 year old. But then I know people who are 100 and didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. It's the quality. It really is the quality. It's the quality of life. There are people who do a lot with what they're given. And then there are people who do absolutely nothing. I love, you know, have a significant life because I think what's what's really troubling right now in society is there is a, and I especially see it with, with younger generations, there's a confusion yes. about what that means. Does that mean fame and TikTok followers and, and, and likes on Instagram or like what, what does that mean? What does significance mm-hmm. mean? And I think mm-hmm. we've lost We've definitely lost the plot. That. Oh, we've lost it. And, the, and we've failed the, the, our kids. I mean, it really, you know, it's interesting, Ted's daughter, Sarah, she was punished. I don't know. We we took away her phone when she was 16 for something she did, whatever. And she says to us all the time, it was the best week of her life because mm. the phone was on all the time. She slept with it, like all teenagers, right next to her, under her pillow, beeping. Can you imagine? Yep. Just this. So, of course, they're I an anxious. Of yes. Of course, they're all <laughs> yeah. anxious. Mm-hmm. And of course, they're stressed. And who's saying what about behind someone's back and who went to this party. I mean, when we were growing up, no one knew who was that, you know. Who has this new bag? Who's no. on this vacation? Who's? It was very funny. Uh, Gary Cinetti, who I, who I follow as a comedian, he wrote, did any, before Instagram, did anybody go on vacation? Because <laughs> <laughs> obviously he was like the rest of us this summer not going on vacation. And all you saw was like everyone's vacation photos. But it's true. It's like, what does that, what does it mean? And I love the way you, you, you articulate that in this book about like, 
yes, you grew up with a lot with a lot of success and, and privilege, but that isn't what determines uh, someone's significance mm-hmm. on this planet. And no. I really, I really want to just drill that down oh. and say it again because I think yeah. it's super important. It's you know? really important. And and again, typical Jackie. We did not know this before she died. She had called sweet Alice Harris, who, you know, works in South Central, and she helps all these underserved and underprivileged kids. And she and my mom, I guess, had connected. She said, Jackie, I need to buy uh, bicycles for all the kids for Christmas. And she said, I need to raise money, and I need you to help me raise money. And my mom said, sure. But my mom said, well, well, hold on. How many bikes do you need? And she said, I need 300, so we need to raise money. And my mom said, you don't need to call anybody. And she wrote the check, and that was her last deed that I had. She didn't tell me. She didn't tell my dad. None of us knew. We saw it on the news after her death. Mm-hmm. That, And then you see these bicycles come off of this truck, and the newscaster is saying, and Jacqueline Avant purchased all these bikes for all these kids. And you see the kids running towards the bike and so happy. And it, it opened my heart in a way, and I said... Of course she did that. Of course that was one of her last great deeds before this happened because it was so Jackie. Didn't want any fame from it. Didn't want any anything. There's nobody's gonna write about her. No one's you know Instagramming her. No one mm-hmm. has a photo of it. It was oh somebody needs something and they're and she loved children. So she said I would love to buy these bikes and I can. And so it's very easy and whatever it costs to buy 300 bicycles for her in this lifetime. It didn't take anything away from her. Mm-hmm. So, of course, she was going to share it. Mm-hmm. Sure. what? Of course. No problem. And I was so happy that they captured that on film because it was a great gift. And it actually started a, a healing journey for me. And that's when I saw that news clip, I said, you know what? I'm going to now only think about all the great things my mom did for me. My mom did for other people. Everybody coming to the house. But her point was this house of mine is a mecca for greatness and goodness and progress, great American progress. And we're going to do it all here in my living room. And I'm going to host every single one. And we're going to make a difference. This is not just about a bunch of famous people at my house. This is, what are we going to do with the platform that we've been given? What are we going to do with the blessings that we've been given? How are we going to move this forward? How are we going to cross this bridge and then bring everybody else across the bridge with us. If a door has been open for me and Clarence, well, it's great. We've walked through. But you can't just walk through the door and then just stand there. You know, my mom used to say, it's like getting to the top of a mountain. Life is full of mountaintops and valleys. And the valley is where you learn everything. And it's hard and it's challenging. And we get all the life lessons in the valley, never on mm-hmm. never on the mountaintop. Mm-hmm. But she'd always say, but when you're on the mountaintop, you're supposed to turn around, celebrate yourself for sure, take it all in, but put your hand out for the other person behind you that's also trying to climb the mountain. And remember to be merciful because you weren't always so... You weren't perfect in every moment mm-hmm. of your life. Everyone has strengths. Everyone has challenges. We all do. And so those are some of the things that she gave me that I now, you know, I didn't appreciate all of it all the time because I I used to say to her all the time, does everything have to be a lesson? My God, can mm-hmm. we just have a day without a lesson? And she said, this is life. It's full of lessons. So you're, and now I do it. Ted says, mm-hmm. oh no, you're Jackie on steroids. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a nightmare. And now it's like everything... <laughs> 
is a lesson. Yeah. And but I'm grateful that she took life so seriously and loved life so much. And I know that she knew that she definitely lived a significant life. I don't think she she might have, you know, if she had any regrets, that wasn't one of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this and you, you and I have talked a little bit about this, but your family is obviously the black American story. Mm-hmm. But I look at this as the American, American story. story. Mm-hmm. I see it as a utterly American story, both with what happened to your family when you say, why not me? How could this happen? Beverly Hills, wait, you have all this stuff. This doesn't happen in that neighborhood. This doesn't happen to people like that. How did this happen? And you go, why not me? Mm-hmm. Why doesn't this happen to me? Mm-hmm. And to be, like that also really, because it's true. It's like, this is an American story. You're an American family. Yes, all of these things do happen to you. Great success. Mm-hmm. Your dad grew up like poor than poor, <laughs> you know? And your mom it, it had her struggles, uh, maybe a little bit, you know, more uh, middle class, you know, but like they had their own struggles and they came together and through this. And I really want to talk to you about how part of this American story intertwined is faith, unwavering faith and politics, but very solution oriented politics and how those two marry each other. And when I was at Vanity Fair, we did a little piece on you. I remember going to your yes, house yeah. and and you were showing me, oh, this is my grandmother's Bible and you had your Bible. And I'm someone, I've talked about this a little bit on the podcast. I was raised very Catholic. My mother was, you know, masses in Latin with incense and, and whatnot. So religion was a big part of my upbringing along with my siblings. And but I don't carry it with me in the same way in adulthood. And reading this book, the the way in which you could easily call up these passages that meant so much to you, I was it, it, I was just like shocked by it, and then also envious of it because having that faith and being able to stand on that and and really what it is is it's hope. Yes, it's it's, it's just. It's hope, it's hope and love. It's hope and love and trusting life. Trusting that life has got this. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to hold the world up. You don't have to. Everything's functioning. You know, the, we're not. I'm not making this earth spin. I don't make the sun go up or go down. I mean, we're not in control of any of these things that we like to think we are, but we're not. You know, I don't go to sleep at night asking my heart to do what it does. I don't go to sleep at night asking my, you know, intestines to do it. Like, it's science. It's all, there. everything's doing its thing. And faith is hope. I stand in hope and in faith and the faith knowing that I may not know how things are going to work out, but I'm choosing to believe that things are going to work out. I don't know how. I, it's not up to me to know how. But I need to know that I really do believe that something bigger than me and something that created this world is going to help me through this. Again, I don't know how, but I'm going to trust in that. And just standing in that trust, which I meant I'm standing in my faith, meaning I'm just going to stand in this position of trusting life, trust that it's going to unfold, trust that I'm going to smile again, trust that I'm going to laugh again. I may never understand this. It's not about that. I had to learn that too. And now I've put that in another part of my brain of this is in a file of I will never understand. I'm not going to understand it in this lifetime and I'm not going to get the answers. So just put it away. Mm-hmm. You don't need to go to somebody and ask why, why, why a million times. They're not going to be able to give you an answer. 
So it's almost torture. I had to accept, okay, I don't understand all of this, but no one does. No one understands why, you know, people get on the freeway every day and people are waiting for their kids or their spouses to come home and they don't. There's an accident. Something happens. People don't know why they get diagnosed with something out of the blue and then, you know, they're gone in six months. We never know how we're leaving. My mom always used to say, there's a train that's coming for you at some point. She had an eternally based thought process, which I loved, which is she would say, this is the part that's temporary. Earth is temporary. It's a school. You come, you learn, you learn lessons for your soul. You hope your soul gets to these lessons and then it kind of moves on like defending your life remember yeah. albert yeah. it's my favorite it's one well, of my favorite eat movies macaroni and yeah. cheese it had zero calories but it was so <laughs> yes. good because i think his way of even showing taking accountability mm-hmm. for your life and atoning and looking at your past in that way that was my mom's way of she didn't think it was going to be you know like oh there's going to be 12 men standing over you and it's going to be this horrific thing it's no, but my mom really believed you do get to look back at your life and change. And I used to say, well, mom, what if that really doesn't happen? She goes, doesn't hurt anybody to believe it. That's the difference. If I'm wrong, let's mm-hmm. say it's all baloney. It doesn't hurt anybody. But if you don't, her fear was if you don't believe in anything and you don't believe in the divine and you don't believe in a divine intelligence and a divine creator, you're going to feel really lost because, you know, your worst day on earth uh, with the divine is better than your best day, you know, without it. Like that was her. And I'm so happy that she gave it to me because we weren't, you know, I have all their Bibles. Now I have my mom's Bible. She loved, you know, but she studied, she loved scripture, all scripture. She loved Hindu scripture. She would send me Hindu scripture. She'd send me Buddhist scripture. She'd send me Christian scripture. It was, that's what I loved is that for her, it was poetry. For her, it's like, listen, there's some really good information. We all talk about, there's no manual. There is no, this. She's like, mm, there's a few. Mm-hmm. There, There are a few actually, but we're not, we don't want to look at it. We don't, it's old. It says this, and we don't believe in this. So I, what I loved, I loved that she gave that to me because, boy, did I need it on that day. I mean, when I did look at that blood stain, that one teeny, it's like mm. this big teeny, um, on his upper toe, his big toe, and I went, what is going on? And. I just silently said, okay, I'm going to be calm for my father because he is the only one in the house. Thank God he didn't see anything. But whatever woke him up, he doesn't remember it was the sirens or the the, the shots. It was most likely the shots. But remember, he also felt guilty because he couldn't, because he was old. Yeah. So he didn't, he didn't run. He, he couldn't mm-hmm. run. So he was moving as a 91-year-old, you know. Yep. So he was moving and he said, and I was looking for Jackie. And the house was just pitch black, and I was looking for Jack, but he saw, he felt the breeze where the guy had broken mm. in. And then he knew. He goes, then I knew, wait a minute. And then he walked around, and he saw her. So his trauma was even much worse than mine because he actually saw her mm-hmm. on the ground bleeding. And as soon as I saw that blood stain on him, I thought, okay, I don't understand any of this. I will not understand any of this. But I am calling on every being of light and all beings of goodness. And I need I need y'all to show up 
because this uh, this I'm not walking through by myself. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I'm just not. It's amazing that the strength and how it carried you through to like minute to minute to minute to day to day to month mm-hmm. to month to now. You're on a book tour. Yeah. And you're, yeah. you know, you're out yeah. there. You're talking about it. You're demystifying it. And also one thing I do also love in this is and having two parents that died. My mom died a very long time ago. My dad. God, I can't even do the math, but. It was 2008, so feels like a very long time. You know, the best way you can honor them is to live a great life. 100%. Yes, it comes up. It'll still come up for me. I'll be driving in the car and suddenly just start crying. Me too. Yeah. Or I'll see, have a scent and I'll be like, oh, or a memory yeah. will come up. Or, uh, or I, it, just, it pains me that my kids don't really know mm-hmm. my parents. You know, obviously my boys were babies and they never knew my mom but like that's painful to kind of to feel but then you see something in them and you're like oh my god that is so my dad I cannot believe that just happened you didn't even know him and you're like I, you know it's just kind of nuts the way life life works and that yes. is the divine and you know, that it, is and the divine on. life I mean the thing is life yeah. does move on with or without you with or without you my <laughs> mom used to say all the time um yeah, all these, I said, oh my God, can you believe this? Did you read, read the newspaper today? Did you see what's going on? She goes, and the world's still spinning. And the world's still spinning. It's still spinning. Nothing is stopping for anybody. There's plenty of people who are going to be born today. Life is not doing changing anything for those babies. There's plenty of people who are leaving this earth today. Life is not stopping for that either. Mm-hmm. You're in it. And it's hard to make the best out of it, a lot of it. But once you have the intention to, and you have the discipline to keep getting up and to survive. I mean, my mom really was giving me that. Amy and I were talking this morning. I was like, oh my God, this book tour is just too much. It's just, oh, it's a lot. Because it's one thing to write it out. It's a whole nother thing reliving it and talking about it. I'm like, I I wanted this to be an offering for people, but when is this going to stop? Oh my goodness. And Amy was great. She said, yeah, but your mom gave you the survival instinct. She reminded you that part of life is choosing to survive and not go down with the ship. And go through the waves. Sometimes you have to pause. My mom was big on pause. She'd say, all right, before you pivot, sometimes you have to pause. Sometimes you do have to stop. And then you'll go again. And you'll life will tell you you'll have to figure out your rhythm. But her main thing is you could pause, you could stop, but you must start again. Because you'll, you don't want to just wither. Well, that leads perfectly into my next (laughs) question about rhythm and pausing and starting again. So you've lived a very philanthropic life. Mm -hmm. You've been very involved in politics. Mm -hmm. Some would say you were beyond instrumental in getting President Barack Obama elected. You were an ambassador to the Bahamas under him. You have always been political in the Los Angeles Mm -hmm. arena, let's say, and, and you talk about Tom Bradley being your yeah. very first Tom Bradley LAX. Anytime you drive through LAX, baby, you see the Bradley Terminal. International Terminal. International Terminal. That's Tom Bradley. Your parents were very big supporters of his, and that you talk about that being your first fundraiser mm-hmm. that you ever did. So it begs the question, Nicole, oh okay, come on. <laughs> What's our next chapter? What's our pivot? You've got the book. You've done it. And I just... I know you too well to know that you just keep moving. You keep moving. You're thinking you don't. There's there's nothing dormant about no. your mind or your existence or you get itchy. So <laughs> I'm just curious. How are you feeling? For me, when I look at politics now, mm-hmm. it's very sad mm-hmm. to me. It's very, to be honest, it's 
it's a, it's disappointing. What makes me sad is when I go out and talk to people, small business owners, anybody, homeowners, is that everybody, doesn't matter what race, doesn't matter what religion, doesn't male, female, whatever, everybody wants order, some type yeah. of order and accountability. And I think it's getting scary when when you're doing the right thing and you're paying your taxes and you're showing up to work and you're doing all the, being a good human being. And then the people who aren't being good human beings, you're trying to get some help, some, and everyone's like, yeah, there's nothing we can do. Right. There's nothing we can do. And that is very demoting to the human spirit. It's it's horrible to the human spirit. We depend on our government to work for us. We We hire them. And I think a lot of our politicians forget that they are hired by the people mm-hmm. and they're supposed to go to work and by the way you're supposed to negotiate yeah you are supposed to compromise solutions um what what part of life do you not have to we have to compromise in our marriages we compromise in our friendships we compromise in every relationship what makes them so special people need people need something to follow something good something working something it's it's so different and it just is i get in it and then i get out of it and i'm I'm just thinking, you know, I said to somebody the other day, I don't really know if I even have a party. I don't even know which party. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. And I don't like that. And I think that that Americans, especially to be such generous people and progressive people as a whole, of course, we're not perfect people. And of course, our country is not perfect. I would like somebody to show me one that is. Yeah. We're not. And... It's we have so much and we have so much intelligence. We have such generous spirits. And it's and then there's this visceral. There's this attacking on. So you can't even watch the news. I mean, I was like, I just want to know the news. I listen to the BBC now. I'm like, okay, what's going on in the world? Because my news is just arguing about talking about the personality of someone talking about the. So for me, it's. It's I, I, I do have faith, though, that things will turn around because I think everyone at this point is really just sick of it. Mm-hmm. We're sick of the unnecessary fighting and the unnecessary nastiness and the unnecessary energy of picking at each other. Please work for the American people and let us, you know, let us be our best. And we would like to feel supported and I think there's some people out there that are, are trying to do that. And I just think, to your point, as you said earlier, the social media of it now is the meat is gone. We're, the cake is gone. Now it's all the icing and the bells and the whistles. But people need to really feel that their country and their government and their local officials, their state officials, are really at least doing every single thing that they can for them. At least feel that way. And I think a lot of people aren't. I, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people do not feel that. They don't yeah, understand there's, it. there's definitely a meme. And, and I think back to that that time, you know, when you, you talk about your living room, you know, mm-hmm. um, and all those musicians and someone like Bill Withers, who was an airplane mechanic. Mm-hmm. I mean, just that story and written mm-hmm. these songs. And your dad saw something and, you know, it was that one grandmother's hand. Yes. And then the next thing you know, like, how could we live in a world without Lean On Me, right? Right, right. But those songs when they came up during those times could be viewed as political mm-hmm. or they were played at kind of, mm-hmm. you know, at rallies and whatnot to kind of bring people together. And it, it is this kind of situation that we're in where I am hopeful and I do feel like the 
you know, the pendulum swings, yes. you know, both ways. But I, I can't deny, you can't deny, and I look at you and think like your upbringing and your front seat to all of that stuff, and and um, you are a connector of people. Uh, you know, what you did for, for uh, Barack mm-hmm. at that time was incredible, and how you gather everybody. You know, I can mm-hmm. only imagine your Rolodex, and mm-hmm. kids, a Rolodex used to be that thing <laughs> with like cards and numbers, you know. Now There's everyone's like, what are you like, talking what is about? A <laughs> I said fax machine to somebody the other day. And honestly, this group of students looked at me and I said, Oh, right. Okay, you should Google it and look at what it looked like. That's how I communicated to people. I would write a fax. You know, and then wait for it to go through. I mean, my goodness. Right. But your Rolodex must be amazing. So I think about like, okay, it's 2023. Right now, it's a little like politics. It's like, oh, you just get eviscerated. Why would anybody raise their hand for it? Mm -hmm. But I wonder where in four years, if I'm still doing this podcast, Mm -hmm. I want to call back on it. And we're going to see like (laughs) what's going to happen between now and four years from now, because I'm very curious. I've watched this space. That's all I got to say. Oh, my Okay. Hmm. Just Have watch you been talking space. to Amy? Mm-hmm. No, I'm just saying watch the space. That's all. <laughs> okay. But um, I want to thank you so much for coming oh, on. Thank it's you for just thank me you so much. I love that you love this book. I and... do. I do. Think You'll Be Happy is out now. So go and get your copy. I'm not going to let you go without giving me one of it. And I should say also, you know, your father passed earlier this, yes. this year very peacefully. Um, thank God. And but the Clarencisms. I need to know what are the ones that you now say to yourself or say out loud? Is there one in particular that... (laughs) The one I just said yesterday to myself was, hey, listen, nothing remains the same. Nothing remains the same. He'd always say, Nicole, you take it too, so don't, you know, things will change again. The tide is always going to come in. You could always depend on that tide. And to have the attitude of pivoting with life, kind of moving instead of, because he, you know, he knew my habit was always resist, resist, swim upstream. I was always upstream. Mm-hmm. And he'd say, hey, listen, nothing remains the same. Mm-hmm. And well, it's a good reminder for me. Yeah, it's great. I'm going to have to like go, like the book, that's the next little book. Little. Oh, I am. It's so Are funny that little... I'm actually writing that. I'm writing, he has about eight isms and yeah. they're, it's going to be the Clarence isms. And then I'm going to write on each one and it'll be a little book. But I think they're important because they are really powerful once you unpack them and what he really meant and how he survived, you know, so long on this earth. One of the last things he said to me was, keep your mind right, girl, keep your mind right. And a couple of days later, he passed. Hmm. Those are his words to me. And so every time I'm spinning... And every time I'm negative, I mm-hmm. hear him, keep your mind right. Mm, that's great. Yeah. And that is a perfect note to end yeah. on. Uh, well, good luck with Thank the rest you. of the tour. I and... appreciate it. Thank oh, you for having me. Lovely to see you. Lovely to see you. Thank you. Nicole's book, Think You'll Be Happy, Moving Through Grief with Grit, Grace, and Gratitude, is out now. To watch The Black Godfather, head over to Netflix. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Krista Smith, your host and creator of the show. Skip Intro is produced and edited by Isabella Riccio and engineered by Dave Corwin. Special thanks to our coordinator, Alyssa Hillman. Please subscribe, rate, and review Skip Intro wherever you've been listening. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. If you enjoy the podcast, please go to NetflixQ.com for more. That's NetflixQUEUE.com. 
Thank you.